As you can see behind me, we enter the final Sunday of Chase the Lion series, and uh, I believe we've only got one first-time guest, and I extend a warm welcome to her, and I look forward to meeting her following service and spending time with her. The rest of you have been here at least once, and uh, hopefully you have all caught up. Somebody's car alarm is going off. Do you recognize it? If not, your battery may be a little lower when we get done with church. It looks like it stopped. All right. Sorry about that. Yep. Mine doesn't alarm like that. It's too old. Anyway. And uh, hopefully that you have caught up if you've been traveling or if you have missed that you have stayed with me because I can't repeat four sermons before I preach this one. Um, so I will turn your attention and remind you of a few things that are important for us to have in focus today. I remind you that Chase the Lion, Chase the Lion is a narrative. It is a theme and it is a metaphor. I am not here to tell you how to literally chase lions. You do not need to go to Africa. You do not need to book a trip to Africa. You do not need to go on a safari in Africa because the message is not really about you and lions, but rather it is a narrative of a man named Benaiah who chased a literal lion into a pit on a snowy day and killed it. But that theme of chasing lions and that metaphor of lions as those things which challenge us, things which threaten us, things which are bigger than us, is where we focus. Today is about defining the lions of Newark UPC. Up until this point, I have preached two angles, one about your own personal life, and God desires to do great things individually for you. But he also is here speaking to a congregation that is a body. We are united. We are part of one another. God has put us together. We believe that you are not here simply because you chose to be, but because God has put you here, has sent you here. Now, you have a choice. You have the ability to choose to do that, and God works with your choice, but he has placed you here. And so I remind you in this day where we are defining the lions for us corporately, I remind you that lions are always beyond our abilities. If you can handle it, it's not a lion. It's as simple as that. And there are many things in life that are challenging, but still, they're not lions. And I believe very sincerely that as Christians, we need to understand that there are times that God is looking at us going, you're really not praying to me about that, are you? And I'm not talking about not praying for direction, but I'm talking about that God says, I gave you a brain, I gave you abilities, I gave you capacities, and I'm not rescuing you when you are having a little cat fight. That tabby is up to you. But there are things that are way beyond our abilities. They are beyond what we have the capacity to do. And so again, I remind you that Lions are the places, the actions, and the circumstances that threaten the fulfillment of God's vision for our lives. But also, God uses these very same lions and our overcoming them 
to fulfill that very same vision, his vision for us. He wants to fulfill his vision in your life. And contrary to what we would anticipate, where we think, God, come kill the lion. God, come take the lion away. The lion must be coming from the devil. The lion must be removed, or I can't do what God has called me to do. It is actually through those lions and through your overcoming those lions as God empowers you that you, in fact, take hold of your destiny and you, in fact, fulfill his vision for you. David became the king that he was and Benaiah became the commander that he was, both because they went through the trials, the tribulations, and the overcoming of lions. So I'm sorry if your solution when you see a lion is to run the other way. You will not seize your destiny and you will not fulfill your vision. But conversely, if you will have faith in your God, if you will turn towards that lion, if you will make that choice and say, I'm going to be either hunted or I'm going to hunt, and so I choose, if there's a risk of me dying, okay, but I choose to chase rather than be chased, I promise you Almighty God will be with you. Almighty God will show up. Almighty God will help you, and you will be able to do things that you don't have the ability to do. God says he does not share his glory with any. And this is why he helps us. He doesn't give us glory. He doesn't give us glory. He faces us up with things that are bigger than us. Things that unless he shows up, we're going to be eaten alive. And then he does the miraculous. He does the miraculous. And he gets the glory. Because it's acutely clear to you when you chase a lion and when you make that place of no return, you jump into that pit of no return, you make that commitment. It is evidently clear that God helped you. For those of you that may have forgotten that God is the one who helps you, trust me, he only has to draw back a little bit and let one of those lion's claws just catch your cheek slightly and you will be acutely reminded that you conquer lions through the mighty power of God and God alone. You don't do it on your own. Now, with those reminders in place, Newark UPC must be committed to ongoing calibration. How's that for a turn? What are you talking about? Well, let me give you a basic definition. Calibration is the act of checking and or adjusting by comparison with a standard, the accuracy of a measuring instrument. Put simply, without calibration, the proper input will not result in the expected output. You can do everything right going in, but if it's not calibrated, if the structure is not calibrated, it will come out unexpected. Newark UPC must become a church that is characterized by ongoing calibration, and that means recalibration to God's vision for us. And God's vision for us is very simple. Make disciples of all and establish new churches. That is our mandate. That has been our mandate from the day that this place opened for business. From the first Sunday in December of the year 1978, 
I know there weren't a lot of people there, so making disciples of all looked kind of big. And there wasn't enough people there for one church, let alone the multiplication and establishing of other churches. But ladies and gentlemen, that was still the vision God had cast. It was a lion. It was bigger than us. And we have been, as a church, chasing that lion ever since. But it's not good enough to talk about the old days where we chased the lion. There has to be an ongoing recalibration that occurs in the life of a church so that we are lined up with his vision. Not our vision, not our comfort, not what we know, but his vision. In other words, the act of calibration, the act of recalibration for New York UPC is chasing the lions. Project Simple is about recalibration. Some of you may be sitting there and saying, I don't have a clue what he just said. Some of you go, I think I remember hearing a little something about something. I don't know what he's talking about. And others of you are so sick of me talking about it that you're like, pull the trigger, pastor, let's go. Wherever you're at, Project Simple was birthed within me the summer of 2015. And all of this past year, over 2016, the year of the plumb line, we have been focused on measuring everything. Every single thing. When I met with various ones of you, as I talked with elders, as I met with our board and would talk in, in certain curtailed ways, I told everyone there is nothing except the gospel and the word of God that is safe. The gospel has not changed, and we will not change it. The word of God is eternal. We can't even change it. The gospel we can change, and then it becomes another gospel, and Paul anathematized those people. I'm not going there. The word of God, you can't change it. I don't care how much you declare it. I don't care how much you, you try to change it. It is established in heaven. It is eternal. But everything else has been being measured. Everything else has been being looked at. Not simply to say, hey, what can we do new? Or what can we change? Or what can we, we, we uh, do something different about? But rather to ask ourselves and continue to ask ourselves the tough question, are we calibrated so that our input equals the expected output? We need to make disciples of all, and we need to establish new churches. And if it doesn't contribute to those two things, then there is a very important question to be answered. Why are we doing it? Now, those are hard questions. Recalibration and calibration is not comfortable. How we bear witness, though, must be calibrated. Times change. Context change. Examples change. I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul preached in Athens in a way that he would not preach here. If Paul came here, he would fulfill his mandate the same way that he did then. I have chosen to be all things to all people that I might win some of them. Now, have there been those before that have used this as an excuse to change the gospel? Absolutely. And they will answer to Almighty God for it. Are there those that have used this kind of language to say that the word of God is not as important and we're going to focus more upon growth and upon aligning and making an organization? Absolutely. And they will answer to Almighty God for it. 
Hear me very clearly. Stephen James Beardsley, your pastor, is not here changing the gospel. And I am not here changing the word of God. But I am equally here to tell you that how we do church must be calibrated or we will have input that gets output that we don't want. When the church began, it was simple. In fact, it can be really summed up in the words of my father, have Bible, we'll preach, we'll teach. That's how it started. It was simple. We must recalibrate our how to our generation and our time, or we will die. In the life of a church, we stand on the precipice of becoming irrelevant. And by that, I don't mean that the doors will shut. By that, I don't mean that we won't survive. In fact, the simpler life for me would be to simply let us become irrelevant because all of you faithful folks would continue to give. I would continue to have enough money to live, and I could live out my days doing nothing. I have bad news for you. If that's the kind of pastor you wanted as your second one, you made a boo-boo in 2005. You hired the wrong guy. I will go down dying. I will go down with the lion's teeth in my rump and on my neck. Then to go down doing nothing. We must recalibrate our how to our generation and our time. Acts 13, 36 tells us that after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died. We must do the same. And this generation and this time requires simple church. We started simple, but over time, things that worked were added. Things that worked were added and stayed. Things that worked but began to not work stayed. And so over time, there is drift. It happens to everyone. You know in your own house, if you don't have a cleaning every once in a while, you start to look cluttered. If you don't have a sweeping out, your garage gets stacked up. Where's it all come from? It's called drift. It just happens. And those of you that are pack rats, it happens a lot faster. But even those of us that aren't pack rats, it happens. And you have to recalibrate. You have to ask yourself, what's the point? You see, these days we are not holding on to little cute onesies because the Beardsley house is no longer having babies. They're going to goodwill. They're being given to people who have need of them. There's a recalibration. There has to be adjustment. I love my days when I first got married, but I don't live that way anymore. Life moves on. The core principles by which I live, the core values that I have, those have not changed. They are eternal and they come from my God. But how I carry out that message, how I preach that message, it has to be recalibrated. And it has to be governed by the need of others because our needs are being met. If they weren't, you wouldn't be coming here. Everybody here, your needs are being met. But what about those who are not here? What about the generation that we need to reach? Again, recalibration is about aligning with God's vision for us so that we are able to make disciples of all and establish new churches. This is not about our agenda. This is not about my vision. This is not about our size. This is not about 
what we like or don't like. This is all about us saying, God, we want what you want. And whether that's comfortable or not comfortable, and if the preacher's right, it means that we're going to chase lions into pits, and it's going to be on a snowy day, and it means it's going to scare the snot out of us. So be it, Almighty God. We want what you want. So, now we begin adjusting. We will continue checking and measuring. It's ongoing recalibration. But it's also time to begin adjusting. The primary adjustment in 2017 will be in the area of small groups. And I highly encourage you, do not miss Wednesday night. Whatever you have to do, be here. There are no kids Bible night classes. Everyone is here. And it is where we will answer every question that we could think of related to small groups. And we will answer all the ones that you can additionally think of. But we need to look at the whole picture in order to keep this aspect of recalibration in perspective. Listen to me very carefully. Little things become big deals and big things are missed when we lose proper perspective. As much work as this year will be, as much change as you will feel in this year, some things going away, some things being added, this is actually a very small cog in a much larger recalibration. We've got to keep it in perspective. Now to help you this morning, I want to talk to you and tell you a story. It's made up, and yet it's true. I want to tell you the story about how some people, I don't know their names accurately, I've made the names up. I don't know their ages accurately, I've made those up. But somebody in the future is going to match these people. And I want to tell you what we've got to do thus far. I didn't say that there won't be more measuring and more checking and more calibration. But this is what we've got to do as a church. So that people, when they come to us, have a very clear and simple path to what? Becoming disciples of Jesus. That's why we exist. If we are not fulfilling that, we have no reason to exist. There are plenty of clubs that you can join, pay members dues, and do all kinds of things. We're not a club. We are a church. We have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we have been placed here to call people to follow him. It's our exclusive purpose. There's no other reason to exist. As I've articulated to you before, Simple church to me looks like this. And this is my operating principle. This is my operating theory. Again, we'll measure. Again, we'll adjust. But where I'm at right now is, is that we worship on Saturdays and Sundays. There's no Saturday worship right now. But as we grow, expect one. We worship on Saturdays and Sundays. Worship services are awesome. But worship services are corporate. And worship services do not teach you. They inspire you. You become a disciple both by being called and by being taught. Worship services call you. 
Worship services call you, but they don't teach you. And so on Monday is a Sabbath. The whole church is in rest. If you're not able to do that, you have the flexibility to shift that. But for staff, Monday is Sabbath. And then Tuesday through Thursday, maybe it will extend to Friday, but right now Tuesday through Thursday are our three days that are focused on learning, learning in small groups. Everybody knows that in school you learn best when you can ask questions. You learn best when you can interact with the teacher. You learn best when you can interact with the students. And size affects that. Serving. You can't be a disciple if you're not serving. This church can't operate on paid staff alone. It can't survive and reach this community if it's paid staff alone. And so every single one of us needs to be engaged serving in the church, but we've got to get out into the community. I'm not telling you that some of you haven't been doing it, but as a corporate body, we need to be defined by these three things. We worship on the weekend, we learn during the week, and we serve during the week. Now let me tell you about Susan. Susan's 21. She came to church because a friend invited her. So she came to our worship service. Remember, it's made up. Don't look around for Susan. She came to church because her friend invited her, and so she liked the service. She didn't like every song because some of them were kind of old, and they were, she didn't understand them, but then a few other ones appealed to her. But, but there was something all the way through, whether they were old or they were new, there was a, there was a spirit of God that, that she felt. And Susan, since I'm making this up, I get to tell Susan's story however I want. Susan didn't know anything about God. Uh, she came from a family that had really only culturally known about Christianity, about religion, but she really hadn't grown up a Christian. But something within Susan yearned to know God, and so when this friend invited her, she came. And she sat, and, and, and she liked what she felt. And, and so you've got Susan. Now, let me tell you about Robert. He's also known as Bobby. Bobby's 25, and uh, he actually came a few months from now after we've started the small groups because there was a buddy of his that they would normally meet every Thursday night, but this buddy says, man, we have to change that time. And Bobby says, why? And he says, because I, I have a small group with my church, and I, 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 this is the only time that works, and so i gotta, I got to shift our time. Can we, can we meet at another time? And so Bobby says, well, can I come? And so uh, his friend said, sure. And so Bobby started coming to small groups. Now, John and Destiny, um, they have three children. Uh, John and Destiny are in their uh, mid-40s. Uh, they're probably the closest to my age and Regina's age. They have three children. Nick is 15, Felicia's 10, and uh, Jordan is 3. They come from a Christian background. But uh, they have a lot of trouble because a lot of churches are, are kind of stuck on some things because John and Destiny are a biracial couple. John is white and, and Destiny is some, some, some shade of brown. Uh, her lineage goes back to Africa, but it also goes back to the Caribbean. And, and so... Um, they also are a bilingual family because they've got some Spanish mixed in there. And so they've had some real challenges about where to go. There's been churches they walked in and it just didn't work because it was immediately obvious there was only white people there. And so that, that didn't work. And then they went to churches and there were only black people there. And that didn't work. And, and, and then they went to churches where there were both, but somebody had gotten the wrong idea that the two of them couldn't be married. And, and no matter how far they listened to that logic and listened to that theology, they couldn't hear any scripture that told them that Nick and Felicia and Jordan were in fact a mistake. And so as soon as John and Destiny walked in with their three kids, this congregation looked pretty appealing. 
They listened carefully as the preaching occurred. And before long, they thought, wow, we don't know what they think about theology, and we don't know how they, how, what they preach about doctrine, but I feel comfortable here. I, uh, I feel comfortable here. And then there's Richard and Nancy. Richard and Nancy are 65. They just retired. They worked in Delaware. They just retired. They're thinking about moving, but they, 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 they really are looking for a new church home. And, and so they walked in. And they're at a very different place than John and Destiny or, or Bobby or Susan. So they walked in. Each one of these people comes from a different background. Each one of them comes from a different religious perspective. Each one of them comes from a different place in their time of life. They don't have a foggy idea who we are. Not a one of them is filled with the Spirit. In our day and age, most of them, if not all of them, have never even heard of Pentecostals. And if they have heard of Pentecostals, what they've heard is that they, they, they do weird things. So they're kind of looking around, trying to make sure that there's no snakes. They're kind of looking around to make sure that, you know, that they're, that they're not weird. And so, so the, the guest reception became very important for each one of them in a different way. Bobby was much delayed because he came to small groups first. But Susan, her, her first experience was that. And so she sat down. Susan was just fresh out of college. And yes, there's some of you here that this sounds like you. And yes, I am taking flat out inspiration off of some of you. Because you have come smack in the middle of us realigning. And church, what you have to understand is we will continually realign. Because the vision must be fulfilled. So they meet the pastor, and man, he preached a crazy sermon. Susan did, and he preached a crazy sermon. In fact, that morning he ran and jumped off the platform. It was like nuts. You'd never seen anything like it. And yet when he goes back in the reception room, here's this guy, and by the time they get done, they've shared a school together. They've gone, he's educated, and suddenly Susan's scratching her head going, wow, I don't know what to do with this church. I've seen the pastor speak in tongues. He's crazy. I've seen him do crazy stuff on the platform. I don't even like all their song service, but I feel God. Everybody was warm and friendly. And now I find out that, well, it's just not what I expected. Bobby had the same experience in the small group. He got there, and he thought he'd find a bunch of people in wingtip shoes and ties and coats, you know, Mormons or Jehovah's Witness or something like that. Instead, he found people from all different walks. He had people walk in that, that had just obviously come from the office. They had a suit on. They had a tie on. Other people walked in, and they still had their work boots on, jeans. Uh, even had a little bit of B.O. I mean, they, they tried to freshen up, but, you know, it had been a rough day. They came straight to small groups. They had other people that uh, walked in there, and they, they looked like they were moms and dads that, that were dedicated to their kids. There were little kids in the, in the small group. It was just not what he expected. None of it matched. And they, as soon as he walked in, they sat down and they ate a meal. And, and it was very different because that, that meal was, was relaxed and it wasn't rushed. And, it, and, and they cared for one another. And they, they shared what had happened that week. And they, they talked about their problems. And, and there was a level of honesty that occurred in that group that was actually, to be honest with you, Bobby was scared by it. He's like, I don't, I don't, I, these, people are, these people talk really plain. These people really share what's going on. But something continued to draw him back. Not just his friend, but how the group treated him. They learned his name. Next time he showed up, big smiles, handshakes, pats on the back. Questions, how'd your week go, Bobby? Bobby didn't even bring any food to the small group. But every time he showed up, there's more than enough for him to eat. 
John and Destiny, because they were looking for a church, they had heard that this church had a Sunday night service. It's one of the few in the area that did, and so they came on a Sunday night. It was a different service. But again, their focus was not upon what was really being preached. It was that everybody didn't stare at them. They were warmly greeted. Not just by the pastor, but by everyone. In fact, it almost was too much. They were swarmed. We're glad you're here. Welcome. People tell them about where their kids could go to class on Wednesday nights. And then Richard and Nancy, well, they came, they came on a Sunday morning. They were church shopping. They were looking, and they came on a Sunday morning. But they were really church shopping. So the first time they came, they didn't come back for six weeks. They were moving around to other churches. But when they sat down in their home and they began to discuss where, where should we go and what should we do, they just kept coming back to this church. Doctrine did matter to them, and that was a little bit of a problem because the preacher on that Sunday where they'd come, he'd preach something that they weren't sure about, but he was real insistent about Jesus' name baptism, and they, they, they weren't sure what he was talking about there because they thought they were supposed to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it, it, he was real insistent about it, but he, he was kind. He wasn't rude, but he was real insistent. And so they finally decided, well, let's go back and check this out. I, we, we, we don't know. And so they came back on a Sunday morning, and again, when they walked in, the thing that did it for them was the greeters were standing at the desk, and as they walked in, somebody smiled real big and looked at them and said, Richard and Nancy, welcome back. Wow. They'd caught that the greeter had, uh, that had done that had looked at her phone, so they knew that there'd been a cheat there, that somebody had looked something up, but still, there was intentionality that had occurred. They mattered. Their name mattered. preaching but I'm not done yet so you're going to have to hang with me it's only 11:35, so I'm going to go a little longer today because I got to tell you this story because everything about recalibration is not about us it's about Susan and Bobby and John and Destiny and their children Nick and Felicia and Jordan I forgot to tell you Nick's 15 Felicia's 10 and Jordan is a crazy three he does cartwheels in the altar. Yeah, he's noisy. He doesn't behave always very well. Likes the pastor, but doesn't always like the pastor because every once in a while the pastor gets after him almost immediately. But they recognize there's love, there's care, there's space for them, there's space for their kids, there's space for their problems. See, John and Destiny's marriage has not always been a good one. It's not always worked real well because society makes it hard for white and black to come together, for white and somebody else of a different color to come together. There's these problems, and no matter how much society progresses, it still struggles. So they've had days where it's tough, and, but they feel like this is a real place. In fact, as they start coming back, they start running into people that they recognize they don't have it together. In fact, on the way in, they saw a couple arguing in the car. They went, wow. And they come in and they worship God and you see them crying in the altar afterwards and they go, well, maybe we can fit here. Because that's kind of how ours works. We don't always get along. We're not always seeing eye to eye. How do we serve Susan and Bobby 
and John and Destiny with their children and Richard and Nancy. I asked myself this beginning in 2015. As these people walk in, what do I tell them to do? I'm the pastor, and I couldn't figure out how to say it simple. I could not figure out how to say it simple. I asked my dad, the founding pastor, to tell me how to say it simple, and he started into it, and Dad, I love you, but it was the past. Some of you that are elders in this church, this is going to be tough for you. But I call upon that warrior in you. You might be old, but you're still a warrior. That which allowed you to break trends, that which allowed you to walk away from cultural norms, that which allowed you to break with family and friends, that which allowed you to go out on an edge, I call upon you. I'm not asking you to run like we're going to run. I'm not asking you to jump fences like we're going to jump fences. But I am asking you to pray like you have always prayed. And I'm asking you to be faithful like you've always been faithful. And I'm asking you to have vision to realize that this generation needs a church that will serve it in its time before we die. So I began to say, God, what do we do? You all know that initially I thought the problem was simply discipleship, and that's why I went after discipleship. I wrote those lessons, and we launched it, and you all cooperated. And I so appreciate the comments of many of you who said, I can't believe this young upstart who's telling me i got to go through classes again when I was schooled and taught by his father. How dare he? And even if you didn't say it quite that strongly, there still was a little bit of there, a little bit of irritation, but you, but you chose to cooperate. And I so appreciate it as you recognized and began to see that there was something happening in those small groups. See, what I want you to understand about recalibration is we're not really the ones recalibrating. God is. We simply have a choice whether we will allow him to shift us because he's the only one that knows how to reach Susan and Bobby and John and Destiny and Richard and Nancy. We don't really know how to do it. We don't know how to reach them. We don't know how to speak to them. We don't know what we're doing. But the God of eternity who died for them on Calvary, he does. And he's chosen to work through a body. He's chosen to work through a church. And so he desires people who are willing to be moved from their comfort zone and moved out of their traditions and moved out of what they've done for a lot of years, maybe even several decades, and say, you know what? As long as the gospel's staying true and as long as the word is the foundation how we do it needs to be determined by the needs of others not by my needs so I started asking God everything that we're on church the path that we're on I've told my father in fact I told him this week I said dad if I've got this wrong I'm going to destroy the church he said that's right son you will but here's what we have to recognize. We're either hunting or being hunted. Church, I don't want to speak bad of you because we have been struggling to stay aligned for a long time. But if we don't align, 
If we don't recalibrate, we're already dead. We've already died. So let's go for broke. Let's at least die trying. Let's at least get in the pit. So, the days of saying to people, and some of you are new here, and I hate saying this, but here we go. The days of saying to people, come to church every time we open the doors, are over. People don't do that. They have to know why they're coming. And until they get the point of why they're coming, they're not coming. So simple church for us, at least initially, is wherever they start coming, whether we meet them in our worship service or we meet them in our small groups or we meet them in the community, that's where we work with them. We don't get all in a tizzy. We work with them. We bear light to them. We bear witness to them. God's been very faithful. We just reported to the advisory board the numbers this year. Regular and irregular people, approximately about 200 unique individuals throughout the year. In addition to them, over 600 people that are visitors and over nearly 300 of those are first-time guests. They've never graced our doors. We're not having a problem God sending people to us in our worship services. So we'll meet them there. But we've got to be able to tell them wherever we meet them and whenever they see the light of Jesus within us and whenever they say, what's next? Not we tell them what's next. They say to us, what's next? There needs to be an answer. And the answer is worship, learn, serve. My goal is to track and measure and calibrate that when Susan shows up at worship service, it may take her six years, but we have a system in place that at the precise moment when she says, I need more, she's able to step right directly into becoming a disciple by learning. Discipleship classes, small group. If I've got somebody coming to a worship service on Sunday morning, I've got somebody coming during the week and learning in a small group, it's in those two pieces that I'll be able to teach them that Jesus requires of disciples a denial of self and a giving to others. It'll lead to service. It'll lead to participation. It'll lead to ownership. That's the basics. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're new to us. You've only been with us a few months, maybe a year or two. You're sitting there thinking, hmm, is he talking to me? Yep, I am. Wherever you're at, if you're Sunday morning only, great, you got worship down. Let's start on learning. Now, some of you around say, they need to come on Sunday night. No, they don't. Did I just do that? Sister Leela, you're going to shoot me. No, I really don't want to see people coming on Sunday night first. I'm not telling you not to come on Sunday night, but if you skip discipleship and come on Sunday night, it's kind of like going straight from baby food carrots to steak. Why don't we work on some potatoes? Why don't we work on some raw vegetables? 
Why don't we work on some things where you can use those three teeth you've got? Because you're growing. But you don't yet have all your chompers. You don't even know how to hold a knife or a fork yet. And I need to feed people. Where do you need a knife and a fork? Is that Sunday night? But see, when they start coming to discipleship classes, when they start coming to small groups, they'll start hearing the message of self-denial. They'll start hearing the messages and the topics that point towards their need to engage in the body. They need to grow. They need to mature. And as they grow and as they mature, it becomes not just about them, but it becomes about others. That's when they'll start showing up on servanthood night. Now, some of you have been coming for a long time. And you've decided, I don't know why i got to come on Sunday night. When you made that choice, what you actually did is you actually said, I want to be immature. I don't want to eat meat. I don't want to be challenged. I want it to be about me. And guess what? Church, we're going to create a place where people can do that. Because I don't know when it is that something in life will finally jar them loose of that. And they'll suddenly say to themselves, I've been stupid. I've been ignorant. And I need to change this. We've all been dumb sometimes. We've all made wrong choices before. We're going to be patient with Susan. We're going to be patient with Bobby. We're going to give John and Destiny time. We're going to give Richard and Nancy the ability to feel it out. It's not about us. It's not about how many people are here. It's not about how many people have received the Holy Ghost. Oh, did I tell you? I got to do this. This is just to throw out somebody. It's a couple people that can identify with it. But, but in Susan's story, in my mind, Susan came for a while, and then lo and behold, in one of our worship services, she got the Holy Ghost, but she didn't tell anybody for months on end. That's not very Pentecostal. We got to have them in the altar. Please understand, I'm not speaking ill of anybody. We've got to have them in the altar. We've got to be standing in front of them. We've got to count their noses. Is that what the Bible tells us to do? Because I'm telling you, our generation is tired of programs. Our generation is tired of gimmicks. Our generation is tired of pressure. We're not going to create the pressure. We are going to be Christians. And as we are Christians, we're going to believe the scriptures which says that God pours out his spirit upon all flesh. I have trouble with this too. Because the metrics of preachers in the United Pentecostal Church and in the Pentecostal movement is how many people are baptized and how many people have gotten the Holy Ghost. That's your success rate. Ladies and gentlemen, we are called to serve our generation in our time. And we must reject that metric. Hear me very clearly. You must repent of your sins. You must be baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. There is no doubt that is the gospel. That is the new birth experience. And God will then take that new birth and cause you to grow in righteousness and holiness and all of the fruit of the Spirit. But God does that work. 
We must create the system whereby they are able to connect with God in worship, in learning, and in service. And when they do those three things, it is impossible for God not to save them if they so choose. I want to say that again. If we create, as he directs us, the right environment, if they so choose, it is impossible for God not to save them. He will save them. Feel that doubt in the room? That's what God's calling us to do. Get in the pit and tussle it. Get your spears out and kill the lion. See, you only kill lions. You'd feel stronger about killing a lion once you've already killed one. The first one's the toughie. Because you don't know. We have to recalibrate. We have to recalibrate. Now, tonight, because I'm almost done. Tonight, you got to come because it's bigger than just that. It's bigger than making disciples. Because disciples are the key to establishing new churches. Because new disciples become the establishers of new churches. I can't preach tonight yet. I've got to do it tonight. So I do need you to come back. Even if you're one of those people that's still at the worship stage. Break your rule. Come tonight. Then you can go back to your bad habits. Until the Lord moves on you. And I believe he'll move on you. If he can't move you, I can't. If he doesn't move you, how am I going to? See, I can get into that. I could try to jump off the platform every time. But then you'll get bored with me jumping off the platform. And you'll want a trapeze act. (laughs) Then you'll get bored with the trapeze act. And you'll want a juggling act. You catching my point, folks? We can't go down the path of simply drawing by entertaining factor. It can't be done. We've got to create a system that is focused and calibrated on the outcome. We don't care how many people are here. We care whether we're making disciples. I want to say that again. We really don't care how many people are here. We care whether we're making disciples. Now, Gene, if you'd come. God is looking for disciples who will follow him into places, take actions, and challenge circumstances that absolutely require his involvement or they will be destroyed. God has such big plans for Newark UPC. And I'm leading you towards them. But unless he rescues us, those plans are bigger than us.
our selfishness, our inability is going to stop us from being able to do it. But I'm here this morning with a narrative and a theme and a metaphor to challenge you, not just as I have the past two weeks with regard to application in your own personal life and your own personal decisions. I'm here to challenge you to have a bigger perspective, to have a bigger vision, to be looking a lot larger so that when that small group that forms and you go to that small group once a month and, and, and things are bumpy with regard to the meal, you keep your eyes up. Or you end up with somebody that irritates the dickens out of you. They talk too much. Or that teacher that rotates through and you walk into the small group and it happens to be that one teacher that you really, you like all the rest of the teaching staff, but that one, oh man, i got to listen to him on Sunday morning. I don't want to listen to him on the small group. Or maybe it's somebody else. That your perspective and that your vision is larger than the one piece, important piece, the one piece You can boycott what we're doing, but you can't stay engaged with the church and not go where we're going. I'm doing everything I can to do it judiciously, carefully, and at a reasonable rate. So think about it this way. We're jumping slow-mo into the pit. But we're going into the pit. I don't know. Maybe you're not scared. And if so, that means I haven't done really a great job and I'll have to do some more at letting you see the big picture. And I'll talk more about it tonight, but I'm telling you, it's going to be a challenge when there's three or four worship services. And the only time you see certain people is in your small groups. And other people, you only see them when you serve with them at the homeless shelter. It's going to be a different feel. It's a different feel that this pulpit is still held as sacred. But there's more than just me who speaks in it. The classroom is still vitally important. But more and more your pastor begins to speak into the lives of others and then send them into your midst to minister to you. What are you doing, Steve? You going for the mega church vision? No. Two simple facts. We must make disciples. Unless we shove some of you out the door, that means, as we make disciples, they're added to the church, and the church gets bigger. And when the church gets bigger, it has problems. Go read the book of Acts. But that's also the recipe for how you establish churches. And I'll talk more about that tonight. So yes, the life of New York UPC and our Savior's vision for it scares me 
Because as Batterson said, when the image of a man-eating beast travels through the optic nerve into the visual cortex, the brain relays an urgent message to the body. Run! I'm a child of this church. This church began when I was six years old. With the exception of two nine-month periods, I have never been in another church but this one. I pastor you because I told God I wanted to honor my parents by preserving their ability to live out in their old age in the place that they had labored. My worst fear is to make any move that would destroy this place. And yet, Almighty God has pressed me and said it's already dead and irrelevant unless you line up with my vision. Not mine. His. We have to realign. We have to recalibrate. We have to adjust. And unless God rescues us, that lion's going to eat us alive. It's going to eat us alive. But here's where the narrative, the theme, and the metaphor goes out the window. Because there was a man named David who many years ago, I don't know if he was smart when he did it the first time, but a lion or a bear came and got his sheep and he chased it. I imagine David in his chasing of it was trying to scare it. Maybe startle it so it dropped the lamb. But this lion or this bear was hungry. This lion or this bear said, no, 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 I want this lamb. And so when he dropped it, he didn't drop it to run away. He dropped it to turn on David. Now David had a split-second decision. What am I going to do? How am I going to react? And in a crazy, perhaps even impulsive move, the scriptures tell us he reached up and grabbed the jaw of that lion as it came towards him. And in his other hand, he held the club and he began to beat that lion upon the head. But David, through those experiences, tells us, I learned something. I don't know how he knew it. I don't know if an angel showed up. I don't know if God just struck the lion with lightning. I don't know what happened. But David told Saul, as he went to take out the giant, he said, the Lord rescued me. When I chased the lion and when I didn't run from it and when the challenges came and instead of turning my back, I reached up and I grabbed it by the very thing that threatened to eat me and I began to club it. I began to overcome it. There in the midst of that choice, God showed up. God performed a miracle. God rescued me. I don't know whether that inspiration in that story is what led Benaiah to ask God, if you did it for David, will you do it for me? I don't know the timeline. I don't know the juxtaposition, but I do know that Benaiah, another person, so I know it wasn't just special for David. Benaiah saw a lion. We don't have any reason why he chased him. I don't have a foggy idea. But he chased him into a pit. And he conquered him. God has to rescue us. 
And I'm calling on every single one of you that you would search your heart and your spirit. Because see, the decisions that I'm challenging you today, challenging you to today, you won't make them today. You're going to make them on Wednesday night. You're going to make them in sign-up sheets. You're going to make them in very unspiritual ways. You're going to make them when your brothers or sisters irritate you. You're going to make them when it's inconvenient to do what we need to do, not for us, but for Susan and Bobby. It's only fair that I tell you what we're doing. It's only fair that I give you time to process it. Yeah, I've been chewing on this since 2015. This is the longest I've ever chewed on anything. I told you this sermon where God said, now it's time to express the vision. Now it's time to cast the vision. This sermon has sat inside of me and has percolated and has been put together since September. Folks, you all know, I'm a preaching machine. I know my Bible right and left. I step to the pulpit. Half the time I step to the pulpit, God's just given me the scriptures 30 minutes before. Nothing sits inside of me and percolates for six months. I'm scared to death, but I'm chasing the lion. I'm terrified, but I will not be hunted. I will hunt. Anybody else going to chase a lion with me? The lions are going to chase you if you don't chase them. So don't think you're going to be able to sit on the sidelines. But you've got to decide, will you chase our lions? It's one thing to talk about your personal life. But today I challenge us, and I will again tonight, with a vision that's so much bigger than anything we're even going to grapple with in 2017. It's a part of chasing the lion, but the vision is so much bigger. Will you believe God?